Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is Politics Done Right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. As usual, we have got a packed show for you today. We're going to be covering from voting to the queen to civic participation in local governments. We are going to be packed Hang tight because we've got a full show for you today. Don't forget, folks, we are still making sure we're trying to get that studio open at the new KPFT studios open by this weekend on Saturday. It's going to be cutting it close. We're working hard, hard, hard. The general manager, the, the, the volunteers, everybody, they're out there just Busting their butts, running wires, connecting Ethernet, the works. Don't forget, folks, support the station, kpft.org, but get ready for us to go back live. We really are attempting for Saturday, but Politics Done Right should begin Monday live, and we hope to be taking calls on Monday as well. We'll keep you abreast of what's going on, but get ready because KPFT is back live on air. Just getting some kinks out, building out its hard work, but you know what? For now, let's get busy. I'm here with Lisa Rice. Uh, Lisa, uh, I met Lisa at the Bridge Alliance Convention, and she fit perfectly the profile of the kind of folk we like to interview here at Politics Done Right, because she didn't only represent intellect, but she represented the type of person that could actually, if necessary, change her mind based on actual facts. Lisa, thank you so kindly for being here in Politics Done Right. You're welcome. You're welcome. Happy to be well, here. Well, great. Uh, Lisa, I heard you in a discussion with an immigrant, and by the way, I'm an immigrant myself, so be careful. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but I, I heard you with an immigrant, and, and you, you, uh, he seemed to be saying that get over it, okay? Uh, all the past issues are over. Maybe people need to just get over it and move on to the future. And you had a stern statement for him. I wanted to say warning, but you had a sta- stern statement for him. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'll I'll give a little background before that. Um, the The statement is based on something that I see um, happening, and all of us can see happening in school districts. Um, we can see happening in libraries. We can see happening in local elections. Which is, I don't I don't want to know history. I don't need to know history. And the fact of the matter is. 
we all need to know American history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It doesn't change what the opportunities are, but I think knowing the history and knowing how the country was built and knowing the systems that help or hurt benefit everyone. And so um, my remarks were because of a very, you know, blissful 25-year-old, I think he is, who's very excited that his parents made the choice when he was young, you know, preschool age, to come to America to make a better life for him and for the family, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. My point to him was, that is great, but understand that the better America that your parents brought you here for was built by my ancestors who were enslaved. And also because I am, you know, a mutt like many people here in the Americas, I also have indigenous ancestors. And so we're living in an America in which land and resources were stolen from, from people who were here before any of us arrived. And so I think it's really important to know that whole history um, because I think that then brings you to a point where you really do value what American potential can be. And I, I'm not sure that the 25-year-old really got that. So I felt I needed to <laughs> say Well, I, I, I think after you expressed it, I don't think anyone could help but get that. Because remember, he's a manifestation of what not only he believes, but what others are preaching out there. Get over it. You know, uh, get over it. Let's move forward. And you can't really get over something that, I, you know, I, I, as I put it on my show all of the times, you know, you're asking us to start, you know, start behind and catch up with folks who haven't had any, you know, who haven't had any breaks put on them. But uh, that said, I, I think it is important for us to um, to put the message out even deeper. Uh, there are structural issues that unless, you know, you, you spoke about in schools, not uh, the, the big thing right now is not teaching real history in school, not teaching about slavery or calling slavery something that it wasn't or and all these other issues. The thing that we have to let folks understand is if you don't get it now, if you don't understand it now, how can you define or define how can you create solutions to problems if you don't know the genesis of said problems? Exactly. Exactly. The example I, I like to use because I think people, it sort of sparks something is um, when uh, we, and this happens all too often, I'm going to say easily once a month, I am sure as much more often, probably once a week and we don't know about it, but a black man in America, unarmed, running from the police, and gets shot. Mm -hmm. My answer to that is always slave patrol. People yep. look at me. I'm like, if you don't know, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you don't know what that phrase means, right? You don't understand why this keeps happening. It's it's Ex a direct connection, and Ex you don't know exactly. it if you don't know history. That and. Ex and I'm a person who studied history. So I'm, <laughs> I'm always going to, you know, that's 
people people say they don't understand. Well, of course you don't understand it if you don't know history. But if you don't know history that people, people, human beings, enslaved human beings who were treated as property were, if they ran away, they were in effect committing the crime of stealing their being from someone who owned them and therefore they could be shot. And if you right. don't know that history, you don't know why it's still happening today. And you know, with that, I think you've wrapped it. Thank you so kindly <laughs> for having been on You're Politics welcome. Done Right. You're welcome. Hey, this is Sam Oser, your unconventional journalist, reporting on the movements that fight back Saturdays at 1.30 Central. I am popping by to let you know about a community action featured on Audible Radio's website, allrealradio.com slash all-real-culture. So in 2019, I don't know if you remember this, there was a huge black plume over Harris County. That was caused by a facility in Deer Park called ITC. This disaster is still under investigation by the U.S. Chemical Safety Board. This facility is up for renewal of their federal operating permit, which would allow them to continue to operate for another five years. ITC may receive their permit without public opposition. You have until Friday, September 23rd, to request a public meeting and submit public comments to the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. If you would like to participate in this action, visit allrealradio.com slash all-real-culture. Air Alliance Houston is organizing around this permit. Uh, there's communities organizing around this permit. Um, you are not alone in any of this. For every issue in which there is struggle, there is already a group fighting back. So if you'd like to get involved in the ITC Deer Park uh, permit opposition, visit allrealradio.com slash all-real-culture for more information. We had to push everything back to give me a couple of days because I had a hate crime happen to me and it affected me. But, you know, I'm not going to lay hate. Stop. Stop. What? What? Please let me know what happened. So as we was doing our drive, we had an event in Longview. It was great. We had to be in Carthage at six o'clock. So we were gassing up at 12 o'clock in Longview, Texas, to go to Carthage. And um, um, uh, as I was at the Sam's Club, which I'm a member of, uh, have been for a while, um, I was getting gas and my car would not work. So I was sliding my car and I went and knocked on the door of the gas person attendant. And I said, hey, my car is not working. Could you give me a courtesy slide? Because they do that. And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I know you. You JJ? I said, said, yeah. He said, man, how do I register to vote? I want to vote for you, man. I'm excited. You know, I've been seeing your signs up everywhere. I said, well, what are your concerns? And we're walking to the gas pump. So while he's doing this, there's a, 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 a fellow American who has to be a European descent, uh, um, 65 plus older. He's just looking at me like this. Uh-huh. 
right? So I'm I'm a nice person. I nodded at him and I said, well, how you doing, sir? And he did like this and I just left it alone. And so the young man said, how can I vote? I said, well, we got an event. Let me get your number. And I reached in to get um, two of these. Right. These, these are my pieces, my record pieces that I'm sure. JJ. So I, 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 I went and I said, here you go. And I just gestured to the guy, hey, this is this young man is trying to unite us. Now it says on the front, Democrats, Republicans, Independent, United for a Better America. There you go. Yeah. So that's my message. Always have been. He said, can I say the words or you want me to believe it out? He said, I don't want the S-H-I-T. No, no, he, you can't say the words. I don't want that. You people, what's wrong with this country? Y'all messing it up. I said, what do I do? I'm just trying to make it better. He said, yeah. He kept start cussing me out, saying all kinds of negative things. So me, I got thick skin. I turned to the young American who happened to be Asian, looked like he's 21. And I said, you know, I'm so glad as we move forward, we're going to forget the past, remember it, but we're going to focus on fixing problems and moving together. Then he reached in. He said, you're right. So he embraced me and gave me a hug. And then that guy said, I looked over. He said, you full of air. And he was going back to get his gas. So while I was embracing the young man, I just happened to look over. And I saw somebody act like that. He, with his pump, like he wanted to throw douse gas on me. So I said, you better not throw that gas on me. You better not. I raised my tone because, and then he, 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 he stopped. He stopped going towards his, the gas pump to put it back up. And he looked at me. And he said, oh, I'll hold you down and set you on fire. And I froze, right? I ain't never had anybody say they're going to set me on fire. Wow. I looked down the burrow of that gas pump. I said, oh, he finna set me, he finna dash me with this gas. Because people don't know, I've been in a bad car wreck before where I should be dead. And I saw my life flash before my eyes. So that that feeling and emotion came back up. And, and I believed him. And then immediately I prayed in my head because I'm Semitic and I believe in the creator. And um, uh, yeah, I said, yeah, what shall I do? And I said, you better not do that. There's no forgiveness for the wicked. If you dash me with that gas, you will go to the lake of fire and you will burn with brimstone. And there's no forgiveness. How can you do this to an American? And then he snapped out. It's like he was in a trance of hate. And he snapped out and he did like this. And he looked at what he was doing. And then he went and put it up. Uh, and then... I was shocked. I was like left in stage of shock. And I turned to the young man. He said, wow. I said, you heard of that? He said, yes. And all of a sudden I looked to my left. I had my campaign manager behind me in her car. And it was a young, a older African-American lady uh, in a red um, uh, uh, Cadillac. And she was like, telling me to come here. So I moved through. I'm, I'm in shock the whole time. I said, ma'am, I'm finna have her to move. She said, no, I don't have my card. My card, could you help me? I said, yeah, I got you. So I went and got my wallet, got my card, came and paid for her gas, pumped her gas for her, and I went back. It was $37. She had $40 in her hand. I said, let me go get you some change. So I went and got my wallet, Got her, gave her $4. She gave me the 40 bucks. You know, I'm just a good Samaritan. I look for opportunities to help people. But I went and got in my car and I was shocked. And I was a little emotional because I was like, wow, I believe he was going to burn me alive. 
because, you know, I froze. I didn't want to have my phone or anything. I don't want to reach for anything at that moment because he could have probably thought I was reaching for a weapon and he could have, you know, shot me down, reached for his gun. This is an open and carry state and people use fear. I do got the complexion to get away. So I just, you know, hey, you know, I'm like this. I'm froze. So I was in the car and I stood there for like five minutes and I was like, wow, that man really wanted to kill me. So I called my twin brother and I said, bro, do you know what just happened to me? He said, what? I'm driving off sounds. I didn't want to say nothing at first. And I said, you know, this guy said he threatened to hose me down with gas and set me on fire. He said, uh-uh, you still there? I said, no. He said, go back, because if you did that to anybody, you're going to be in jail and you're going to prison. So I turned around. I called a few more people. Uh, my consulting company that I'm working with, and I called a, a supporter of mine, Miss Mary Lou. She said, Jamar, someone pulled a gun on me, and this is going too far. And if you don't stand up, who will? And if not now, then when? And so I, I sought, I sought, you know, counsel from the people that that I, I love and have respect for, and uh, people that's on my team. So when I went back to uh, call the police, the police came out there, and he gave me no respect. Uh, he didn't take it serious. He said he don't believe that a gas pump is a weapon. I said, well, if I turned that gas active gas pump on you, you have every right to shoot me down. He said, no, it has to be justified. I said, so you don't think that's a weapon? No. He said he ought to do it. I said he ought to do it. It don't matter if he said ought to. Did he spray you? I said, the man threatened my life. And if we don't make an example of him now, he's going to go hurt somebody. Just like that young killer in Uvalde, they knew ahead of time that they called him a school shooter, right? We It's called foreseeable negligence. And right now, the state of Texas should be sued for not invoking the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia necessary for the security of a free state and the right of the people to bear arms. It never says the right of the individuals. And those people must secure the state. And how can we have security if the militia doesn't exist. It's a free for all here. And we need the governor, Craig Abbott. He has failed in his fiduciary duty to regulate a militia. So I was fearful that this unregulated person could have just shot me down. And I'm here for a mission to, to I, I'm not trying to be a martyr. I'm not trying to be a martyr, especially with the disrespect that I'm having in my own district. I'm the first. When you're the first, you really get it, right? I'm the first um, uh, African-American, even though it says Negro on my birth certificate. Right? <laughs> so I say that a few other Negro uh, Americans, they don't like that. But um, who, who but it, I, I'm, I'm, it's a split. It's a big war going on in East Texas because most of the Republican Party is full of former Democrats. Right. 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 And they literally I have Democrats who work for Republicans. Um, uh, it, they tell me I can't really help you because I might lose my job. My boss is very conservative. And, you know, I've been getting all kinds of harassment. I'll chop your signs down. And who do you think you is? And people brash weapons, people. But this cut the cake. I've never had it like this where it affect me. I've looked down a barrel of a gun. I mean, you know, get out the way. Right. Get out of line of fire. But you can't get out of line of somebody talking about hosing you down. Shit go everywhere. And he said his intention was to set me on fire. So 
that affected me. I was emotional for like at least, oh, I mean, this happened last week. It took me like three, four days to get over this. Because so, it, is, it is absolutely serious, my friend. I, look, I am glad that you recounted that story because that story on its own uh, is, is intense. But let me tell you, uh, for every bad person you run into, and I'm sure since you speak to so many people, there are so many good people. And just like we don't want um, the reflection of one bad person to to actually be representative of us all, we can't let that the reflection of those bad folks to change that positive energy that you are putting out there, that positive energy, because the positive energy is what's going to make you win. The positive energy is what's going to let people see he has overcome what, what they've thrown at him with dignity, perseverance, and character. Uh, para ver, para ver. Every case says, yes, people take drugs, Egberto, but stopping or slowing supply with hard busting was being done, but the last 20 months record levels since. Again, hard busting of drugs doesn't work. Put it this way. You want to stop, if you, if you want to stop drugs on the supply side, get to hell the factories that create the raw materials. Again, people that you see selling the drugs, those peons on the street, the ones that go to jail, they have nothing to do with drug manufacturing. It's easy to find the drug manufacturer if you wanted to. If you wanted to find the supplier, you could. We have no interest in that. We like the cat and game mouse, uh, cat and game uh, ride, right? We love it. The cat and mouse game. We love it. Uh, so what? my thing is have sympathy, have empathy for all drug users. Give them the help that they need. Understand that many drug users are using drugs to hold back some sort of pain to feel good, right? Just like the alcoholic is trying to f cover that need, we give the alcoholic better treatment than the druggie, even though the alcoholic's liver is going to be going to hell, while the marijuana smoker's liver will be just fine. Right? Maybe his lung will be a little bit messed up. All right. Bros Parlor said, too many people die without having the chance to be helped. Those painkillers are not good. They come from who knows where. It's terrible. It's terrible. But again, Bruce, the people that are pushing these drugs, the doctors that are pushing these drugs, and guess what? There are a lot of doctors right here in yours truly, uh, Brother Bruce. We have a lot of high, you know, we have a lot of high-end drug users right in our community, Brother Bruce. Uh, my wife could probably tell you quite about a few of them that as they're driving down Kingwood Drive or Lake Houston Boulevard, they're popping those pills because it makes them feel good with, a, with, with some whiskey on the side. And nobody would ever try to lock these folks up because they get it the right way. It's prescribed. Those don't have... Those privileges, they go ahead on the streets and get it the best they can, and sometimes they get it laced. And then those are the ones that pay the heavy penalty. Oh, the one, the, you know, so they get hit twice, right? They get knocked out because they're doing drugs, and then they get knocked out by the person who sold them the drugs, which sold them crap for the drugs. And then they get knocked out again because they got to go to the emergency room and they can't afford it and they try to dump them out as soon as possible. Don't, it's hell to be poor, as uh, Marvin Zindler used to say. 
It's hell to be poor. It's hell not to have. You know, I used to be one of those that just thought people who took drugs were irresponsible. People who took drugs were beneath me. People who took drugs were all, all those bad things. That's how Egberto felt about drug pe- people who took drugs until I was schooled and had to change my complete opinion and ask the question, wait a minute, those people who medicate themselves with alcohol, how comes you don't feel that way about them? Those people who medicate themselves under the auspices of a doctor, how comes you don't feel like that about them? How comes you don't think they're weak? How comes you don't think they are needy? But you have that poor person whose only recourse is to go on the streets and buy some drugs and have, and sometimes get hurt in doing so, and we just hammer them down. It's not. It's neither empathetic or the right thing to do. As I said, I was fooled. I had to change my opinion. I had to learn to be more empathetic to all drug users. Whether it is a drug of alcohol, the drug of nicotine, or the other drugs, whether they be cocaine or crack or whatever they may be. I learned to be empathetic. And since then, I think I've learned also to atone. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. We're coming to you directly from Pittsburgh, PA, Netroots Nation 2022. Today, I am with... Kate Mayer, thank you. Did I say that right? You did, absolutely. thank you so kindly for being with us. Absolutely, Uh, thanks for having me. Look, let me tell you, first of all, what do you think about the conference so far? Absolutely fantastic. I don't think you can find a group of more committed, caring, thoughtful uh, individuals that are here to protect our democracy and make sure that we are building and sustaining our communities moving forward. What I find here is, you know, I come here... I think it's always bi-directional. You learn a lot and you also have a lot to provide. Yep. And I imagine that is the same with you and with the company that you're representing. Tell us a little bit about yeah, what you're doing. Absolutely. I am the founder and director of Be The Ones, which is a nonpartisan organization working to increase and revolutionize civic participation at the local level. Mm-hmm. And we do that through education compa- campaigns uh-huh. that combine technology, storytelling, and real life experience. So what we're really trying to do is mm-hmm. break down what our local state leaders do mm-hmm. and why we should care. I always love asking this question. Yes. How many positions across the country, right. local and state elected leaders, do you think there are? You know what? I haven't got a clue. I know it's, it's thousands, but I have no Pick clue. a number, any number. Ten, maybe 50,000. 50,000. 550,000. No. There are 550,000 people across this country in our communities that are making decisions about our lives every day, right? right. Why we're sitting here, right. what we're drinking, right. what we're eating, right. how safe our communities are. Right. And the reality and what research shows is that most people don't even know that these people exist, let alone right. what their roles and responsibilities right. are. So that's what we want to do. We want to bring awareness to who these people are how they impact our lives, and how we can get in our communities and take action to ensure that we are building equitable, sustainable communities for all of us across the country. You know, uh, for all those beautiful words, you know, to a lot of people, they hear those words and say, ah, Sky, but there's one word that you use in that whole litany of words that I really love, and that is story. Yeah. And the reason I love the word story 
is that if you can tell someone's story or you can tell a message yep. within that person's story, absolutely, then you can actually reach that person. Something that we absolutely. haven't yet learned to do as a society. It's funny you bring that up. Um, in our research and conversations, there is sometimes this negative connotation of story right. and storytelling, right? right? Especially in the society and world we live in right now mm -hmm. with misinformation and disinformation, right. right? Think about it when we were kids. We read these stories that were fictional and, right. and fairy tales. But the reality is stories are lives. They right. are people's lives. And that is how we can create change, right? By sharing stories right. together, good, bad, and the ugly. And a lot of what we've heard at this conference is, you talked about training and tools in addition, is how do we tell our stories in a more effective way? Right. And I truly believe that the change that we want to see, the stronger democracy, the healthy communities, that happens through storytelling. Right. And storytelling is not a bad thing. I, right. I truly believe it is the most powerful and effective tool that we have in our toolbox to create the change that we want and to. And we're also talking about personal stories, right? Absolutely. Personalizing, you know, because when somebody see themselves in you, whoever you may be, 100%. they can see that it's not just me or actually yep. we actually share a common interest. Absolutely. I mean, I think of we ran a campaign last fall around school boards and property taxes. Right. And we had an individual in Pennsylvania who learned what the role of school board was through our storytelling. Right. And because of that, she is now running for school board in her community. Right. I think about a gentleman I met with yesterday here at the conference who is a returning citizen right. and very openly shared his story of what that was like to come back after being incarcerated for 20 years. Right. And, you know, how what he was told was he needed to take an eight week course mm -hmm. on how to write a resume. Mm -hmm. And that's not what he needed when right. he returned, right? He needed life skills and figuring out how to get back into, into the community. Yes. And being able to share these stories with one another is how we not only connect, right. but it's how we move forward. Right. It's how we create, because we all have a story, exactly. right? We all have these stories that we have, have molded us mm -hmm. and um, can be used to, to, to relate to one another. Well, Kate, um, all of this is great. All these oh, words thank are you. great, Thanks. right? Now, how do we instantiate that? How do we yeah. make it happen? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it goes back to what we were just saying. It's yeah. having conversations. I right. think, you know, so much has happened in these last two years. But one of the things that I see most um, is this lack of conversation, this lack of talking to each other, of being open. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it starts with starting to talk with one and another. And how does your platform bring us into talking. To Great each other. question. Be able to have that conversation. You need to have the information, right. right? And so that's what we're building. We are building this platform, this online database that is accessible, easy to understand, digestible content that you can become educated and understand what you need to know to have these informed conversations. Now, I find that in our society uh, today, one of the big problems that we have, Lindsay, yeah, one hey. of the big problems that we have has to do with um, the way that people get their information. Absolutely. Now, my question to you is that, yes, you're going to have a platform, mm -hmm. but is this platform going to be done in such a manner that it is accessible to everybody? Because the people that, that really uh, need some help right now yep. are the people that are least have, that least have things like computer systems and Wi-Fi yep. and all of that. 100%. How are you going to bridge that gap? Yeah, so let me start by saying that as much as we do, we will never be fully accessible 
to every single person and we recognize that. So an important step for us to take to get as close as we can mm -hmm. is to bring people on our team and work alongside of us that have those lived and learned experiences, right? From a disability standpoint and also from a language standpoint. So one thing that we are moving forward this fall is to provide all of our resources and information in English and Spanish. Our goal is to be able to increase to as many languages we possibly can with funding and resources somewhere. next year. Funding and resources. I'll give you the website in a second. Yeah. Um, and then, as you said, with accessibility, too, we are a digital first model, but we recognize that 46 percent of this country doesn't have access to broadband Wi-Fi. 46. Yeah. Um, as wow. it relates in their homes, in their right. homes. Right. And so we know that um, digital can be our tool, but we also have to get on the ground and into communities that don't have access, right? And so how we do that is we partner with community organizations across the country to provide them the resources and materials to then go into their communities and give it to them. Um, in terms of other ways that we are accessible, we um, are, you know, really working towards including our information in a very factual, nonpartisan manner. This isn't about candidates. This isn't about who to if vote we can for. Get away from that, yes. This is about educating on issues. And the way that we can do that in the most accessible way is to bring people into the conversation, into the table, back to the storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. That have those experiences and that have lived it to be able to tell the truths. Kate Mayer, please tell them how Absolutely. we can get access to you. My website uh, is betheones.org, B-E-T-H-E-O-N-E-S.org. We're on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Let's Be The Ones. Um, I would love to chat with you. We are just getting started. We actually have going to have a quick pitch for an event. We have Vote Local Day on October 8th which is a digital first, again, online virtual event where we are going to combine storytelling, uh, performances, arts, fun, comedy, and education uh, to help voters as we lead into the election in November to really highlight those local and state positions that are on the ballot and that really, really, really have an impact as it relates to reproductive justice and voting access and education beyond just what's happening in D.C. Kate, Mayor, it's been my pleasure. It has been my pleasure. Thank, Thank you so much for having me. And I hope we'll be able to do this right. again. Absolutely. Even so, before next year. I tell you what, it's great that there's Zoom now and everybody's used yeah. to it. So let's keep it up and you keep Absolutely. doing that great work. Okay? Thank you so much for Thank having so me. I appreciate it. Please get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The contributions from my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT-only membership for $40, a Pacifica-only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org. Choose Politics Done Right for the program and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. Of course, today I had to endure many of us, many of us who have colonial descendancies, 
had to endure the pontification and the greatness of the monarchy as they laid Queen Elizabeth to rest. Again, the human side. I feel for the kids. I feel for those who had a personal relationship with this queen. But I want all to realize that it is hard for those who have lived or who are the descendants from those who have lived under the horrors of what the British Empire really meant. It is hard to have this or watch this adoration. I, I, I call it uh, PTSD generations removed. Because when you look at all the riches and the beauties and everything that these guys have, the, 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 the wealth, we are looking at our ans- those of us from colonial, the colonial British or the colonial Spanish or whatever, those of us are looking at those riches that were built on the backs of many of our forefathers, but not only built on the backs of many of our forefathers, but, but the riches extracted from our land, stolen, taken, pilfered. And we are supposed to sit back, bite our tongues, and just say, how beautiful, Watch Kate, watch all, watch the prince, watch the new king, all celebrating stolen. I, I don't want to be sour, but when you are asking some people to look at what's going on with the pump and circumstances and all of that that you're seeing on the TV right now, you're asking them to forget all the damage that lineage has done to you. And you are, have, you are being asked to just be quiet and like it. It is wrong. It is completely and entirely wrong. Yes, have your funeral, have your little... But to have all the television stations, all of them, going to this and, then, and, and using narratives with how great this woman was. She was a nice lady. But she didn't ask for forgiveness for what she's done to billions, not her, but her, her wealth, what the wealth that she's living off of right now has done to the billions in the world. She hasn't asked for forgiveness. She hasn't spoken about reparations. She hasn't spoken about all those poor countries whose wealth they extracted. Well, let's make life better for them. We don't hear that. That is why I am so impressed with Ali Velshi that I know it cannot be easy for Velshi to be doing this kind of narrative because not only is he going to get it from many apologists here in the United States and the UK as I've shown before with the videos that he's done, but even his management has to be a bit concerned of his honesty so let's listen to the last one he did. I think he did this over the weekend. 
Hi, this is Prince William and Kate riding through Jamaica in an open top uh, Land Rover. I was quite the stir back in March of this year, 2022. The royals were touring the Caribbean to mark Queen Elizabeth's platinum jubilee, 70 years of rule, not just over Great Britain, but as the head of state of many Commonwealth nations. William and Kate, at the time the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, participated in a Jamaican military parade. Perched in the back of the Land Rover, William saluting the crowd in a military uniform, his wife by his side dressed in all white. Now, if you put a black and white filter on this, it might be mistaken for this one. Queen Elizabeth II and her late husband, Prince Philip, riding through Jamaica in the same dark green Land Rover in 1953, back when the country was not a member of the British Commonwealth, but in fact was still an actual British colony. The vehicle itself is a relic of a colonial past in the most literal sense, and symbolically, the stark similarities between these two images underscore the lasting legacy of British colonialism. During that March 2022 trip, the Jamaican Prime Minister told Prince William and Kate that Jamaica would be, quote, moving on from the monarchy. Jamaica says it's going to hold a referendum before 2025 to decide if it wants to sever ties with the crown, which for decades made fortunes off of the Caribbean islands resources and through the slave trade, which passed through Kingston's port. Since Queen Elizabeth's death, several other Commonwealth realms, all former outposts of the British Empire, are reassessing their relationship with the monarchy. The Commonwealth of Nations is an international organization composed mainly of former British colonies. It rose from the ashes of the British Empire. At its peak in the 19th century, the empire covered a fifth of the world's surface, ruling about a quarter of the world's entire population. 413 million people fell under the British Empire after many decades of living under the ruthless reign. Let's just be clear. The ruthless reign of the British Empire. The colonies grew empowered to throw off the yoke of British imperialism, some quite violently. By the 1920s, most of the British colonies demanded self-government. Some didn't achieve it until late into the 60s and beyond. But the Commonwealth of Nations was created in its stead. They agreed to be equal in status and, quote, united by a common allegiance to the crown. Today, there are 56 Commonwealth nations. Some of them are republics, have their own heads of state, and have recognized the Queen and now King Charles III as the head of the Commonwealth. Of those 56 nations, 15 are considered Commonwealth realms, these 15. In these realms, the British monarch is considered automatically to be the head of state. These realms include Antigua and Barbuda, Australia, the Bahamas, Canada, uh, Grenada, Jamaica, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, Belize, the Solomon Islands, St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Tuvalu, and of course, the United Kingdom. Barbados is the most recent realm to have become a republic. This island nation, by the way, Barbados, parted ways with the monarchy last November, removed Queen Elizabeth as its head of state. It remains within the Commonwealth of Nations, but no longer holds realm status. Other realms are now considering following in the footsteps of Barbados, by the way. Australia says it'll hold a referendum uh, on shirking the monarchy no earlier than 2035. New Zealand's prime minister predicts it'll happen in her lifetime. A commission in Belize is poised to consider whether the Central American country should declare itself a republic. Antigua and Barbuda will vote on removing the British monarch as the head of state by 2025. And as I mentioned earlier, Jamaica plans to hold a referendum by 2025. There's something happening here, a reckoning of the past atrocities committed for the enrichment of the royal family and for Great Britain. Despite the fanfare and celebration to which we are all subject at the moment, the pomp and circumstance cannot gloss over the fact that the British Empire was brutal. The Commonwealth was a consolation prize.
It was created as a vehicle to preserve Britain's global influence, a modern alternative to British colonialism. It kept the former colonies in the grips of the monarchy, teaching them how to behave, how to self-govern, stripping away elements of national identity. But for the most part, today, the monarch is simply a figurehead and not much more. What the early monarchy left behind is of much more consequence. The legacy of colonization, economic exploitation, violence, racism, bloody wars. And yes, while it is denied even by some who have appeared on this very show slavery. Some Commonwealth nations are starting to realize they don't have much in common with the British monarchy anymore, and maybe creating some distance is a good thing. As someone with Jamaican lineage, you know, um, a lot of uh, some of my grandparents actually went over to Panama to build the Panama Canal or either build a canal or be a part of the the, the, the Panama Canal zone to do things uh, when, when they came over there. So, um, you know, you, you'll find that a lot, a lot of us in Panama actually have Caribbean. Well, actually, there's very much interchange between all the Caribbean islands and the, the northern coast in the case of Panama, the, the eastern coast in the case of all of the rest of Central America uh, with the islands. There's interchange with Venezuela uh, uh, Curaçao and all these other places. People just interchange around there. So we all have this British, uh, Spanish, Dutch. All of these conquerors came in and did massive, massive, massive extraction on this place. And now these monarchs that were the, in the case of Great Britain, the family that most benefited from the pilfer of uh, the islands from the pilfer uh, of the islands and the enslavement of people to work on those islands and create the sugar and sh- and dig for the gold and the zinc and all uh, and the aluminum and all bauxite and all of that you know we are now expected to really think oh let's celebrate this monarchy when you see monarchy you may see something that you like When I see monarchy, I see oppressor. When I see monarchy, I see thief. When I see monarchy, I see that which stole all of these things, that which put in bondage many. So look, if, if you are of the type that loves monarchies and enjoy the king and the queen, be well. But do not please... Ask those of us who know the history, whose, whose uh, ancestors have told the history, to somehow just forget about it. Because if it were something that affects many, and there are some examples that I would like to use, but I don't want, it's not proper at this point. But don't ask those who know about colonialism to somehow forget about it and just think it's great to have all this great pop pump and circumstances for the queen don't expect it in fact i tell you i remember the first time i went i landed in jamaica on a cruise and i saw the queen's face on the money. I was so not only disappointed, I got irate because I wondered what is taking so long to break those chains 
but I digress. Para ver, para ver. Norman Reynolds says, Trump has been a criminal that keeps on committing crimes. Let's start with him paying hush money to a sex worker for his silence. How can apologists protect him? And you know what is so funny, brother Norman? And welcome, brother Norman Reynolds. You know what is so funny? Uh, it is so funny uh, because... He was committing all these crimes before he even got into the presidency. That is, that is the heights of privilege. Because of who he was, not only that he was a white guy, but also that he was a man. And also that he came from wealth, however dubious. That is America. And that is what we together here must solve. Because... Obama, if Obama had several baby mamas, if Obama ripped off people, if Obama created false university, if Obama did 1% of what Donald Trump did, Obama, first of all, would never have been president and the media would have torn into him and never taken him seriously. Yet even today, the media treats Donald Trump as if he's some sort of a human being of consequence. They are the ones who make him consequential. I'm going to take this point of privilege and talk to you about one issue that nobody's talking about, abortion. And uh, so let me, let me give you the quick talking points so that you will really understand this issue backwards and forwards. Because I know that the talking points say that this is a women's issue. And I have to take umbrage with that. This is not just a women's issue. The abortion debate on its face is about a woman's right to choose, and all of us support her having that right to choose, period. Okay, start there. But this is more than that. With the Constitution, when it was written in 1890, uh, it, the, the, in 1790, sorry, in 1790, the first 10 amendments to the Constitution were ratified, and that's called the Bill of Rights. And we all hear the Second Amendment from the other side, but they don't talk about the other amendments. And I bet uh, a lot of you may not know all the amendments, but I'm going to tell you why they're important. Uh, there was a guy named William Brandeis who was a Supreme Court justice in 1890, so 100 years later, skip 100 years ahead. And he looked at these 10 amendments and saw something that no one else had really seen before. And that is that because these amendments are there, they informed us how we could deal with future problems, things that were more modern. So for example, George Washington didn't deal with cell phones in the Constitution, right? But somehow our judicial system deals with cell phones. Uh, and we do that because of what I'm about to tell you. In the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the third, well, the First Amendment, do we all know it? Press. The freedom of what? Press. And the press, press and what else? Speech. Speech and what else? Religion. Religion and what else? <clears throat> one more. Assembly. The right to assemble. Good. Okay. So we have that one, and everybody's got that one down pat. And the Second Amendment, the right to unlimited guns no matter what, apparently. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, we understand that one. The Third Amendment. The Third Amendment. Anybody? No. Okay. I'll, I'll go through them quickly so we can get to the candidates. The Third Amendment. The, the quartering amendment. So back then, it was the norm that when militaries would come in, they would house themselves in anybody's local house. So when this country was founded, they decided that that would be against the law. We will never have military housed in your own personal homes. And that is a privacy issue. You have your home, the government can't come and live in it. 
Okay, the Fourth Amendment is something very similar. When they come to your home, they can't enter without a warrant. Search and seizure, that's the Fourth Amendment. The Fifth Amendment, you've probably all heard of, right? I plead the Fifth. That's the right to not incriminate yourself. So you have private information about yourself. No one is making you give that private information up, okay? Now, I can go through the other amendments, but these three are very important because they insinuate an interesting thing. They insinuate a right to privacy. You have the quartering amendment, government can't come here. That's a privacy issue. They can't come in without a warrant, that's a privacy issue. You don't have to incriminate yourself, that's a privacy issue, right? Because of those amendments, William Brandeis, 100 years later, said, we have something called penumbra rights. Penumbra rights, the penumbra is that shadow that's cast when the moon has a, uh, what do you call it, a, uh, an eclipse of the moon, the, the shadow that comes on the Earth planet, that's the penumbra. So this insinuation of the moon, so this insinuation of rights because of these three rights specifically. Now, because of that, we now in a modern day get to say, well, you can have interracial marriage because it is your right as a private citizen to do that. We say you have the right to gay marriage. You have the right to not incriminating yourself by giving your password on your cell phone unless you have FaceTime and then you're stuck. Right? <laughs> if you have a password, they, no one can tell you to give it up. It, there's a lot of privacy that comes because of the insinuation there. Now, the conservative movement has always said that they are what it's called originalists, which means that only if the words themselves appear in the Constitution can we deal with that. So literally, there is no word cell phone in the Constitution, so there is no law that prevents the government from taking our cell phone and using it against us. And that could be digitally without us even knowing it. Right? They, they would suggest to you that there is no law preventing that. And there is no law that says that you have the right to marry whom you would like to marry. There is no law that says you have this thing called privacy. So when a woman goes to her doctor and has a private conversation, they would suggest that because in the Constitution it doesn't explicitly say you have that right, then it goes back to the states. If you know your constitution, anything that wasn't explicitly written goes to the states. And every state, therefore, has the right to decide what they want. Now, here's the interesting part about that. Right now, a lot of the state's legislators are run by Republicans. So they're very happy because they're running the board and they're saying, well, the states are now promoting no abortion. But imagine a society 20 to 30 years from now with overpopulation on the mind, limited resources on the mind, and the state legislatures start to say, you know what, China used to have a really interesting policy, a one-child policy, and for 30 years, they forced you to have abortions after your first child. Those same state legislators right now that are voting against abortion could mandate abortion in the future. And then the right to choose people would be the, the conservatives, and they would be asking for the right to choose not to have an abortion. Isn't that interesting? So everybody actually in America is pro-choice. It just depends who's in power at the time. But not everybody is the other side, right? The completely against abortion. So if half of America is for one issue and half is for the other, but we're talking about uh, the right to choose, 100% of us are actually pro-choice. It just depends on how you frame the issue. That's right. See? And that's why when they talk about one thing and we're talking about it, they're apples and oranges discussions. The man on the street who might believe that an abortion is a murder does not understand that in the courts, that is not what is being decided. 
they are not, the courts are not deciding if it is murder to have a child aborted. What they are deciding is if right. you have the right as an American citizen to the private decision. So when we talk about pro-choice, we're talking about what's happening in the courts. When they talk about right to life, they're talking about nothing real. And they don't realize that the people that are helping them in the courts for their issue are actually creating the argument that could actually in the future work against them, which is, again, that if the government has the right to choose for you that you can't have an abortion, that same government could also choose to force you to have an abortion. Their side is not seeing it. Our side has been seeing it since the beginning. You can listen and or watch Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right or on YouTube Live at politics done right.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My Twitter handle is at Egberto Willies, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L. I-E-S. But don't you forget, listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. all central time. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT on your mind. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support. That is there to provide that nourishment that we need. KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Well, folks, that's it for today. You know how I'm going to end this baby. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. <laughs>